Thank you so much, Pastor. Well, good day. My name is Bin. Um, I'm from Australia, and it's a, it's a joy to be able to uh, be here. Um, I, I never take preaching the Word of God lightly, because it is a moment where we let God speak to us through His Word. And I, I want you to understand that God speaks to us through His Word, and, and I'm so uh, honored and privileged to be here. So to Pastor Stephen, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for trusting me uh, with, with this time. Thank you so much that, you no, know, even though we've just known each other briefly, that you would uh, allow me to minister from this pulpit. So I want to say thank you, I honor you, and I appreciate you. Um, Pastor Daniel Ong is a very, very good friend. I, For some reason, over the years of pastoring in the city of Perth, um, I've connected a lot with in the Indonesian community, and um, I don't know whether God is is just um, reminding me the beauty of what it means to be united in Christ, that we may not know each other, we may have never met each other, but because of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and it's a joy for me to be here. Um, I have some slides here. Uh, my family... Um, is uh, a picture here, just a bit about my family. Uh, my wife uh, and I, we've been married for over 20 years. Yeah, we got married when we were 12, you know. No, I, that's just a joke, right? That's a joke. Um, my eldest son, Oliver, Cameron, and my beautiful daughter, Matilda. And so uh, every time I travel, when I go to a new church, I like to introduce my family. They are my joy. That is my primary ministry. I'm always reminded that if I cannot take care of my household, I cannot take care of God's household. So they're very precious to me. Uh, I pastor a church in Perth. Has anyone been to Perth before? Yeah? Okay. Well, the next time you're in Perth, you must visit me. Okay? You must come to Sun Life Church. We meet in the city of Perth. There's a picture of my church here. So I'm very blessed to be able to pastor a church in the city. And God has been very, very kind. It started in my living room some 12 years ago, and God has allowed me to keep being faithful, and it is a joy. Before I was a pastor, I was a high school teacher, so uh, I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed teaching the Word of God, and for some reason, God, in His wisdom, in His kindness, in His grace, has taken the teacher out of the classroom and made him a preacher in the church, and I say, oh, glory to God. Yeah, that I get to do what I love, which is teach and preach. And it is a joy to lead this church and also be able to be here with you today. You know, uh, this afternoon, I want to draw our attention to the time that Jesus called the fifth disciple. The fifth disciple is a man by the name of Levi. All right, And I want to draw from you, from the text, how beautiful is this Jesus. Because every one of us here who have made the decision to follow Jesus means that we have made the decision to represent our Master. That our lifestyle will point to the people around us, the one we are following, and the one we follow is not the world. The one we are following is not our church. The one we are following is not our pastor. The one we are following is not ourselves, but the one we are following is the beautiful Savior, and His name is Jesus. And I want to highlight to you why He is so beautiful in His calling of the fifth 
disciple Levi. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. You know, if you know the gospel of Mark, there is a lot of tension. If you go back and read Mark's gospel, you will notice there is a lot of scandals. I don't have time to go through all the scandals, but I can say this for sure, that in the first two chapters of Mark's gospel, there are so many scandals. The scandal that Jesus can forgive sin, that's a scandal. Only God can forgive sin, but Jesus says that I forgive sin. The scandal that Jesus would redefine the Sabbath, The scandal that a rabbi, Jesus, would touch a leper, that's a scandal. Because no holy man would touch a sick man, that's a scandal. The scandal that Jesus would redefine what fasting is all about. And right here, the scandal of calling a tax collector onto the team. But I want to show you why it's more than a scandal. That it is beautiful that the Savior is beautiful. There are three things I want to show you. Number one, Jesus sees differently. Number two, Jesus embraces widely. And number three, Jesus saves the unworthy. And because of those three points, wow, Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth pursuing. Jesus is worth dying for. Amen. Let me pray and then I'll work the text with you. Let's pray. Father God, I pray now. I say thank you for the privilege to be a teacher right now. I say thank you that you would use me as your voice right now. I pray that you would speak to your people as we study your word. So Holy Spirit, be our great teacher. Lord, will you use me? Will you use this servant to teach your word well? Will you minister to us, Lord? May we not just be hearers, but also doers of your word. Will you help us all that we would leave this afternoon changed for your glory and the good of those around us? Will you bless this sacred time? Will you use me mightily? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Do you have your Bibles open? Okay, Mark chapter 2, look in verse 13 and 14. Jesus sees differently. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. The lake here is the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd came to him, and he, that's Jesus, began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, there it is, son of Ephesus, sitting at the text collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. You know, the text is very clear. The text tells us that Jesus is preaching and he noticed a man and the man's name is Levi. Is that right? Now, if you know your Bible, in the Old Testament there are 12 tribes. Is that right? One of the 12 is Levi. Clearly, this man Levi must have a Jewish background because of his name. So the very first thing we know about this man is that he's Jewish. Is that right? Now my name is Bin. Take a guess where that is from. Vietnam. All right. You know, if my name was Ricardo, I'll be Spanish, right? You know, if you come to Australia, you have Jono and Waza. They're all Aussie name. But by his name, Levi, already we know that he is Jewish. That's the first thing. You see that? The second thing we know he's hated. You know why he's hated? Because he's situated in a text collector's booth. 
You know, tax collectors were despised people. They were the scums of the earth. They say that if you're a tax collector, people don't trust you. They would not even accept you as a witness in court because you're a tax collector. They say that if you go to a tax collector's house, you are now unclean. They say that if a tax collector gives you money, don't take it because it's like bribery. Tax collectors are very cunning people. Do you know why? They take money from the Jewish people and they give it to the enemies, the Roman Empire. In fact, they could take as much as they want, pocket some for themselves, give the rest to the empire. They make silly rules, tax collector. Oh, your cart, your cart has four wheels, I will tax you more. Oh, your cart has two wheels, I tax you less. Very cunning people. And this man here is super cunning. You know why? He's positioned right at the Sea of Galilee where there's a lot of people going through the port. A lot of trade people. Very rich man. Very smart man. But you know why he's the worst of the worst? Here's the reason why. He's Jewish. He's taking money from his fellow countrymen and he's giving it to the enemies. You cannot get any worse than that. He's not a Roman tax collector. He's a Jewish tax collector. He is the scum of the earth and Jesus noticed him by the sea. But what happens? Jesus says, you follow me. Now let me just teach you something. You know, in those days, if the rabbi wants followers, he never initiates. It's like an apprenticeship program. If you want to follow a master, because there were many masters, you have to apply. If you want to follow a master, you have to put on your best foot. You have to copy the master and then you hope that the master say, okay, I like you. You follow me. Oh, I don't like you. You're not a good student. You look for another master. Who initiated? Jesus. Unheard of. Jesus says, you follow me. I can imagine the people there questioning Jesus. Jesus, are you out of your mind? Like Jesus, this guy never applied for the program. This guy never requested to follow you. Jesus, out of all the people you want to follow, you ask a tax collector to make it even worse. You ask a Jewish tax collector, Jesus, you are out of your mind. Can you imagine that? Do you know that Levi has another name? What is his other name? Does anyone know? Matthew. Do you know that the gospel in the New Testament, the very first one, the gospel according to Matthew was written by this man? Do you know what he wrote about himself? The very same account. Go with me to Matthew 9 verse 9. Look at this. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the text collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Do you notice something different, my friends? He did not use his old name. He did not use Levi, but he used his new name, Matthew. Do you know what Matthew means? Matthew means gift of God. 
Do you know what's happening right there? That even though the world saw Levi as a scumbag, as a traitor, as the worst of the worst, as a nobody, God saw him as a gift. God saw him still as a blessing to this world. Can you see that? Can you see how Jesus sees him differently? Amen. You know, the world saw Levi and says, well, you are a tax collector. Or you are a traitor. You are a despised. You are unworthy. You are nobody. But Jesus saw him as being a writer, an evangelist, a disciple, a gift of God. Friends, Jesus has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he still sees you and me differently. Here's the sad thing. That for some of you here, I believe prophetically, you're here because you need to hear this. That for some of you here this afternoon, you still see yourself as a nobody. You still see yourself as a failure, as a sinner, as a waste of space. You still see that because of your past, because of what you have done, you cannot be a gift to this world. You cannot be a blessing to this world. But I am here as a messenger of God to remind you that Jesus sees you differently. That you can still be a gift to this world. That you can still be news for the glory of God. That you can still be a blessing to those around you. That your past, your experience, what you have done last year, last week, last night, does not determine what God can do in you and through you today and forevermore. Because Jesus sees you and me differently. I don't care what the world sees in you. I don't care what others may see in you. I don't even care what you may see in you. I want you to see what Jesus sees you, that you can still be used by Him. Do you know, it reminds me in the Old Testament of a young, skinny shepherd boy that God saw a future king, David. It reminds me of a coward hiding by the name of Gideon that God saw A mighty warrior. It reminds me of a poor Jewish girl by the name of Esther. That God saw a queen. It reminds me of a follower who betrayed Jesus three times named Peter. But Jesus still saw a great church leader. I say to you that our Jesus have not changed. Amen. He is the same. If he sees these people differently, he will see you and I differently. That you and I can still be a gift to this world. That we can be a blessing to those around us. And that we need to shut the voice that says to us that we cannot be news. That we have an expiry date and the date has been reached and that we are nobody. Our past will not determine our future Jesus determines our future and he sees us differently. And that's why I choose to follow him. That's why I know that he's beautiful because he sees me not as a Levi, but as a Matthew. Amen. Number one. Number two. Jesus embraces 
widely. Look what happens now in the text in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. So Jesus now is not at the lake, but now at the house of Matthew, Levi. Many tax collectors, that means they were friends of Levi, and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So you need to understand this. Now, I can't, you have to trust me, okay? You have to trust me. You can Google later on, all right, if you don't trust me. There is a Greek word in there, katakaimai, all right? And the NIV and most English translation, we don't see it. But the word katakaimai means to recline. And you only recline when you are relaxed. <laughs> you only relax when you're comfortable, right? So if you invite me for your, to your house for, I don't know, dinner, I know most people in Singapore, you eat a lot. You know, I heard that there's breakfast and there's morning tea and lunch and then is it tea and then there's dinner and then there's supper <laughs> and it just keeps going on and on. If you invite me to your house and if I really like you and you really like me, you know what will happen? I will get relaxed. I will take off my shoes, I will find your sofa, and I would katakaimai. I will relax. And I will stay there, not for minutes, but for hours upon hours. That is the word we see here, that Jesus was really enjoying the fellowship of all these people. He wasn't looking around saying, who would see me with these tax collectors and sinners? No, 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 no. Katakaimai, he was really loving the time of fellowship with them. He wanted to be with them. And some people saw this. You notice the text tells us sinners. All right? If you go back to the text, previous verse, in most translations, the word sinners will have inverted commas. If you have an English translation in your Bible. And what that implies is that anyone who did not hold the 618 Old Testament laws were sinners in the eyes of the Pharisees. So in other words, if you were a poor person and you had to work on the Sabbath, you're a sinner. If your marriage was broken, you're a sinner. If you're a thief, you're a sinner, of course. Prostitute, you're sinners. So all these Pharisees saw Jesus reclining with all these people that in their eyes were sinners. Now look what they said to the disciples in verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating, relaxing with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples. They didn't ask Jesus, they asked the disciples, Hey, why does he, your rabbi, eat with these sinners, these tax collectors? They say, Why? Because your rabbi is a holy man. Holy people don't sit with unholy people. Do you know why? Because Jesus embraces widely. Jesus welcomes everyone into fellowship. Jesus did not wait for these people to tick all the boxes first before he would love them. Jesus did not wait for these people to get their life in check with God the Father before He would embrace them. The text is very clear that these people were still sinners. They were text collectors, but Jesus embraced them widely. 
And for you and I, if we have made the decision to follow Jesus, we have to do the same. We do not put criteria on people before we would love them. A lot of Christians, we wait for someone to tick the boxes and then we would love them. But I do not see that in the text. And I wonder, New Beginning Church, I wonder if someone came in here for the first time and they don't look like us, they don't dress like us, they don't speak like us, they can't sing our songs, they don't speak Christian knees, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Will we embrace them? Or will we wait for them to be a bit like us and then we will welcome them into fellowship? I don't see that in the text. I see a Jesus who embraces widely regardless of where they are. Here's the thing, my friend. We may not accept their lifestyle because we know it's sinful. We may not agree with the way they live because we know it's wrong, but we are still called to love them because they're made in the image of God. We are called to embrace them. I think sometimes we fall into the trap that we have to wait for someone to be a bit like us before we would love them. Until you know a bit more of Jesus, I will welcome you. Until you get your act together, I will welcome you. This reminds me of a story of a lady in the 19th century. 19th century, right? She was in a mixed marriage. She married someone from the different race and she had a baby, a baby daughter. And she started going to a church, women's fellowship. And she came because she loved it. And she came back week after week. And one day the pastor pulled her aside. And the pastor said, ma'am, I don't want you to come back again. Because some of the women in the church are very uncomfortable with your mixed race daughter. This is a true story. In the 19th century, she looked at the pastor with tears in her eyes. She says, pastor, I know I am a sinner. But is there a place for sinners to go? She left that church. She walked a few blocks down the road. And she stumbled this church called the Salvation Army. And they welcomed her. They embraced her. And later on, she gave her life to the Lord. I ask you, church, are we willing to embrace widely? Even if we know that our friends are different. Are we willing to love them? Or are we waiting for certain criteria to be met first before we would love them? I do not see that in the text. I see a beautiful Savior who embraces widely. You know, last year, a lady in my church, she's not a Christian. She goes to our playgroup. We have a playgroup every Friday morning at church. And she said to me, Pastor, I'm moving houses. We're moving half an hour away because our church is in the city. She says, we're moving half an hour south of Perth City. She says, Pastor, I might not come back to your church. I said, that's okay. You find a playgroup near where you're living and God bless you, because she's not a Christian. Anyhow, a few weeks later, she was at the playgroup, and she came to me. She said, Pastor, I want you to know this. I said, what? Tell me. She says, uh, the, the elderly couple in your church, their name is Paul and Bernadette, they helped me move. They helped me move from my old house to my new house, and I have never experienced this love before. 
She says, Pastor, do you know that I'm not even a Christian? And I said to her, I know. I know. But that doesn't stop me from loving you. That doesn't stop the people in this church to embrace you. And she started to cry. And I started to cry. To this day, she still goes to the playgroup. She still drives half an hour every Friday to the playgroup with her two little children. But let me share with you, to this day, she's coming on Sunday as well. Every week. She has not met the Lord yet. She has not met the Lord yet. You know what? I can't save her. God saves. But I can point her to God through the way I love her. To the way I embrace her. I share you that testimony to say to you, friends, is that if Jesus embraces widely the new beginning church, we are to do the same. Because one of these days, someone will walk through here far from Jesus. And we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To embrace them. Amen. Number three. Jesus saves the unworthy. Look in verse 17. On hearing this. So Jesus heard the conversation. And he turned to them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. You need to understand what's going on here. This is amazing. Do you know Jesus is not defending the tax collector? He's not defending the sinners. He's saying to the Pharisee, you are right. You are 100% right. They are sick. They are sinners. You are right. There's nothing good about them. They're unholy people. They're ungodly people. They are far from God. You are right, teaches the law. They are unworthy. But I came for them. I came for the sick. I did not come for the righteous. I did not come for those who think that they are righteous, who think that they know what is good and bad. No, no. I came for the lowly. I came for the humble. I came for the unworthy people far from God. I came for them. You know, who, who has made an appointment to see a doctor recently? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor, you know, when we make an appointment to see the doctor, we admit that we are sick. Yeah, very strange if I made an appointment to see my doctor and the doctor says, Okay, Bin, uh, how can I help you? Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, then, Bin, uh, why did you make an appointment to see me? I don't know. I like the smell of your office. Very strange, right? When you make an appointment to see a doctor, you admit you're sick. And if Jesus is our great doctor and we meet him, we say that we are sick. We say that we need a healer. We say we need healing. We say that we are not perfect. We need to be whole. And if God has saved you and saved me, it meant that when he saved us, we were not perfect. It meant that when he saved us, that we were far from him. It meant that when he saved us that we were not righteous, we were not worthy. And so we say, God, thank you so much for saving me when I needed saving. In your grace, you saved me. There's nothing good about me. I am not deserving anything, but yet you would save me. I am so grateful because of that. I want to live radically different. You see, the salvation of God, the gospel is good news because he saves the unworthy. Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul, he says this, and I love it, in Romans. 
He says 5.8, but God demonstrate his love for us in this way, while we were still sinners. You see that? Not when we were saints. <laughs> no, no, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or how about in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, he says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were alive. No, 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 when we were dead. You see that? You see, the gospel is so wonderful because God saves the unworthy, you and me. And when we understand that, it humbles us. We say there's nothing good about me, but because you saved me, I want to live in response to your grace. I want to be kind. I want to be gracious. I want to be humble because I do not deserve your love. You love me first, therefore I want to love those around me. You forgave me, so I want to forgive those around me. You have been gracious to me. I want to be grateful to those around me. Amen? That's why the gospel is amazing. Let me finish off with my story before we conclude. Here's a picture here. You know, I am um, I'm in my late 40s, believe it or not. I don't look like that. I look 18, I know. Keep it up. I like you. I'm a refugee. You know, I came over uh, in 1981. I found Australia as a little boy. My family left Vietnam after the Vietnam War on a boat similar to this, around 7 to 8 meters in length. There were around 37 people on the boat. When we were in Vietnam, when we were about to leave, my uncle, my uncle said to me, I said to my mom and dad, you must believe in Jesus. Because my uncle came to know Jesus in the mid-70s. He was the first to receive Jesus. And he told his sister and his brother with their two children, believe in Jesus. But my mom and dad says, we don't want Jesus. Because Jesus is the religion of the West. We like to worship our ancestor. But my uncle kept saying, believe in Jesus. He has a purpose for your family. He has a purpose for your children. Believe in Jesus. My parents says, no. We don't want Jesus. Then my uncle says, when you escape, when you're out at sea and you need help, cry out to Jesus. He loves you. My family now is out at sea. We are drifting out of sea. It's been over one week. I remember on three occasions, three occasions, my parents cry out to Jesus. One occasion, we were running away from pirates. They cried out to Jesus. Another occasion, there was waves and swells and storm like probably three, four times the height of this, and we thought the boat would capsize, they cried out to Jesus. And you know, within a matter of five to ten minutes, silence. That's why when I read the gospel and I see Jesus calms the storm, it brings the tears to my eyes because I experienced that. By the grace of God, we found, ready, an island of Indonesia. This is in Indonesia. You know that little boy in the red shorts? Handsome, hey? That's me. That's my father on the right. That's my father there. That's me. Refugee camp in Indonesia, 1980. In Indonesia, missionaries came through from CMA, missionary. And they knew a lot of Vietnamese were there. Guess who they were preaching? Jesus. They say, who wants Jesus? My mom and my dad looked at each other and said, that was the Jesus we cried out to out at sea. The one who saved us. The one our brother says he has a purpose for us. 
They say, we want Jesus. They receive Jesus. Do you know that we do not deserve salvation, my family? Did you know that they say over a million Vietnamese refugees died out at sea, unrecorded statistics? We did, not ne- we did not deserve salvation, but He saved us. Did you know that God did not have to save me spiritually, but He saved me? I don't deserve that. The uncle that shared Jesus to my family also escaped two years later. He made his way to Australia and he became a Baptist pastor. He's been pastoring in Sydney now for nearly 40 years. And to this day, he says to me, You see, I always knew that God loves your family and God has a purpose for you, Bin. And today I'm also a pastor. Did I deserve salvation? No. Why did so many Vietnamese die out at sea and we did not die? I say the kindness of God. Why did God save my family as refugee in Indonesia spiritually? I say the kindness of God. We did not deserve it. We are unworthy, but He saved the unworthy. And because I know that, I want to live for His glory. If you and I realize that this Jesus saves the unworthy, people like you and me, we want to live for His glory. Keep following Jesus. You know why? He's beautiful. Do you know why He's beautiful? He sees you and me differently. you know why He's beautiful? He embraces widely. Do you know why He's beautiful? He saves you and me, the unworthy. You keep following Him. He is worth it, my friends. He is worth it. I want to pray for you. I know I only have five minutes. I want to do some ministry. Is that okay? So worship team, you want to be on stage, it's up to you. But I want to pray for some of you. I really feel led to pray for you. Hallelujah. You know, with all eyes closed, I don't know if what I said made any sense. (laughs) But maybe for some of you here this afternoon, you feel that you're still a Levi. You feel that your past is haunting you, that you cannot break through and escape from the bondage of what you have done in the past, and you feel ashamed, you feel that you cannot be a blessing to people, and you feel that you cannot be a gift to this world, I am here, brothers and sisters, to remind you that you too can be a Matthew. That God can still use you and that you can be a gift to this world. That God has not forsaken you. That God has not forgotten you. That you can still be used by God today. I want to pray for you later on. I want to pray. I want to break any bondage of the past. I want to set you free by the grace of God that you can be used by God. That there is no expiry date in the kingdom of God. Secondly, maybe for some of you, there's a prejudice. I don't know. Maybe you have a prejudice to people who look different to you, people from different race, people from different backgrounds, people from different religion. As soon as you see them, you cannot stand them because how they've treated you in the past. You put up a wall. You don't want to embrace them. You're on the MRT and you sit away from them. I want to pray against that brother because that is not the Spirit of God. God wants you to embrace them because He embraced us. And thirdly, maybe for some of you, you feel entitled. You feel that you deserve salvation. I'm here to say that you do not deserve anything. 
God has been kind to you. You must live in humility. You must crush your pride and your ego. And from this day, you must live in humility because God in His kindness have saved you when you do not deserve saving. He has saved the unworthy like you and I. I want to pray that God will crush your ego, crush your pride, and you would walk in humility. Amen. I don't know whether that made any sense, but I believe it did. If you need prayer, if you want me to pray for you, because I don't know if I'll ever come back here again. Maybe this is the last time. But it will be my joy and honor to pray for you. And I believe that as I pray, I'm not praying to the air. I'm praying to the Creator God, the one who hears my prayer, the one who can change hearts and change situations. Brother and sister, that is you stand now because I want to pray for you. I want to know who I'm praying for. You stand up and I pray for you right now. You do that right now. Your time with God. Thank you. You pray. I'm going to pray for you. Believe. Thank you. You do business with God right now. I did not come here just to entertain you. I came here as a messenger from God with a word for God. And if you want to do business with God, it will be my joy and my pleasure to pray for you right now, brother and sister. There is no condemning here. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a holy, healing God. He's going to make you whole. Anyone else, you stand right now. Because I want to pray. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Good. You do business with God right now. Anyone else? Thank you. Because I want to see who I'm praying for. And I want to believe with you that God can restore. I want to believe with you that God can change you. I want to believe that God can still use you because God has better days for you, my friends. Anyone else? Let's not miss this opportunity, please. Let's not miss this opportunity because God is here. His Spirit is here. He wants to encounter you. He wants to meet you. He wants to restore you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you so you can bless others. Anyone else here? Come on. Come on. Anyone else? Father God, I pray right now for those standing. I thank you so much for their boldness. I thank you so much for the humility that they would say, yes, God, I need you. God, I need you. I am desperate for you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. God, Spirit, you do a mighty work right now. Holy Spirit, you minister right now. You do what you only do best is that you soften hearts right now. You whisper in their ears, in their hearts that they are loved by you. That you love them, that you forgive them, that you will still use them. Anyone who has condemning voices, take those voices away and replace it with the voice of love, the voice of hope, the voice of peace, the voice of your spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone here who have made mistakes in the past that is haunting them. Oh Lord, remind them that your grace is sufficient. Your grace forgives you. You're a God of many chances that they can still be a gift to the people around them as of this afternoon. I pray for anyone with a prejudice towards people who are different to them. I pray that you'll crush that, God. Give them a heart like Jesus to embrace widely. Anyone who is living in arrogance, pride, or feeding their ego, crush their ego crush and starve and kill and destroy their pride and feed their spirit. Feed humility. May they walk in humility from this day onwards. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you are worth following. You are so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, that you see every one of us differently. Thank you, Jesus, that you model how to embrace widely. 
And thank you, Jesus, you would save sinners like every one of us. Oh, the unworthy. You're a good, you're a good God. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.